a little different. Uh, this is not something I originally planned, but as we go through this, uh, I believe you'll understand the purpose. <clears throat> we're going to read Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 6. I will be doing more teaching this morning than preaching. I had planned uh, a different message originally and uh, <clears throat> was purposing to preach uh, the beauty of, of Christ. I still hope to exalt Christ high this morning, but as we work through this, I trust you will see uh, the reason why. <clears throat> We're doing something just a tad different. We're not leave, leaving the book. We're not leaving the text as such, but I will not be doing an exposition of it, but making uh, an explanation this morning. So <clears throat> Hebrews, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 1, will you please stand with me one more time? Let's give our attention to the Holy Word of God, and let's read it together this morning. Let's read together, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> I will wait till you're ready. Okay. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Amen. May God bless his precious word and his son to our souls. Let's pray. <clears throat> O Savior, blessed and precious Savior, whom yet unseen we love, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the head of this church. We need thee every moment 
every hour of every day. There is not a moment when with the wave of our hand we can say, go help somebody else today. I don't need any. Oh, my Father, we need Thee. We need Thy Son. We need Thy Spirit. And I pray with all my heart that Thou wouldst fill us mightily today. This is Thy church as all Thy blood-bought congregations are. Everywhere around this world, I trust Thou hast blessed our brothers and our sisters wherever they are, whatever condition they are, with all of the unrest, uh, with all of the bloodshed, with all of the things that we see that rend our hearts. Oh God, bless thy children. Encourage them. Build them up in the faith. And my Father, how I pray uh, that as we hear thy word today, that our hearts and minds would be drawn upward to thee, to thy blessed throne of grace, that we would examine our hearts by this blessed word. <clears throat> Lord, who am I to preach? I would not be here, and I would not do this, hadst thou not made plain to me that I should do so. I am fully aware that I will give account to thee for everything I do. Father, help thy servant this morning. Help me to speak clearly, plainly. I pray that thou wouldst drive out confusion. May thy word bring clarity. And I ask, O oh God, as I did earlier. Even though this is an unusual message for me. A profound and difficult challenge. I pray that thy blessed spirit would come. And even draw the lost to thee in this. And father I do pray that thou wouldst edify Thy people, thou dost love them. O Christ, who corrected Peter. Christ, who corrects us by thy word. I pray that thou wouldst give us much light, much understanding. Thou didst move wise Solomon to say, get wisdom, get understanding. In all thy getting, get understanding. And the Psalms tell us that from thy precepts we get understanding. Oh, come Holy Spirit, enlighten our hearts, unite our hearts and our minds. And I pray all of this will be to the glory of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I 
the Apostle Paul, gripped and motivated by his love for Christ's people in the church at Corinth, warned them of danger. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Why did he say that? He tells them, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. <clears throat> Arising from my love for Christ's blood-bought congregation here, I fear that some are ignorant of Satan's devices. Why do I say that? For the same reason that Paul said what he said to the Corinthians. I say with Paul, I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to live and to die with you. Again, Paul said, We do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. In Paul's explanation to the Corinthians, he said, We use great plainness of speech. So I've prayed that the Lord Jesus will grant me great plainness of speech in this message. Nevertheless, we must also consider Peter's words. Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. With that in mind, we must consider that some of the things we will examine today are hard to be understood. I acknowledge this as we begin. And Paul said to Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive. I repeat, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but to be gentle unto all patient. So it is also my prayer before my lovely and patient Savior that I may humbly say with Paul, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. I will do my best to do that. I do not possess the infallibility of the apostles. I am not one. But by prayer too and faith in Christ, I strive to be faithful to his sacred text. That is the charge to all 
his pastors and elders. This message will not be our usual exposition of the text. Due to the nature of what I will unfold, I will be teaching, as I said, more than preaching. My goal, however, is the same as always, the glory of God and the edification of Christ's eternally loved people. He loves his sheep. So the title is The Son Who Became Son. With Paul, my prayer for you all is this. I cease not to give thanks for you. And I'm quite certain I don't tell you that enough. I give thanks for you all. Making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. Amen. Well, the first heading here is this, a concern about Dr. MacArthur's former error has arisen. For whatever criticisms of me that have come and will come in my ministry to God's people and whatever errors I have made and will make, hopefully always to repent quickly, I never thought that I would be doing what I am doing today. Never. Never entered my mind. I must speak of the former error of a well-respected pastor. John MacArthur, while explaining something that I have said in our series on the letter to the Hebrews. Now, this will demand your attention. It really will. And you're going to have to think and think carefully. In God's wise providence, this seems to be my year for weighty and lengthy explanations for things that I have said. So be it. It is the will of God and I submit to his wisdom. And I do so in the hopes of bringing him glory to edify and comfort his people And to be a better man, husband, father, and pastor before Christ Jesus. My heart beats with Paul's declaration that he had renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that I have always preached the word of God without error on my part. 
But Paul goes on to say, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That is a difficult thing to do. <clears throat> but the work of a pastor, the, the work of any teacher, in fact, I'll even say it's the work of any father, is to commend himself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You need to live in a way that respects <clears throat> and seeks to edify the conscience of others. And that means even at the self-denial of your own. So, let us then consider the concern raised. A concern has been raised about the sentence, the son who became son. It appears that some... <clears throat> that by using that sentence, I have fallen into error. <clears throat> In fact, possibly the error of Dr. John MacArthur and what he promulgated in the early years of his ministry. It has been suggested that by using this sentence, I am dishonoring Christ. Are you listening? I would rather die than to dishonor Christ. I would like my swift destruction if I do so. Well, I will use great plainness of speech. <clears throat> Christ loved me. Christ gave himself for me. Christ purged me of my sins. Amen. Nothing special about my testimony. That's the testimony of every believer, Amen. of every regenerate person. And we should make it our devout determination not to dishonor him in any way. We're capable of, and we do. But may his spirit and word fill our hearts quickly, bring us to repentance, and to restore our fellowship with him. <clears throat> Why then did I use that sentence in my exposition of the first four verses of Hebrews? The answer is simple. I believe that it helpfully captures a complex and debated matter in the Christology revealed in Hebrews. <clears throat> I will repeat that. I believe that it helpfully captures a complex and debated matter in the Christology revealed in Hebrews. 
those who know me and have recognized my easily noticed flaws know that brevity is not my gift. When the Holy Spirit handed that out, I missed it. When I write my sermons, I commit my thoughts in writing. But I'm always looking for better and simpler ways of saying things. Always. Especially when I'm studying to preach a profound, challenging mystery in Scripture. Which the Christology of Hebrews is. And it has generated many books and many debates among God's people. Anyone who preferably studies and meditates on Hebrews quickly discovered, discovers that its revelation of Jesus Christ is deep and rich beyond human comprehension. And when the finite try to explain the infinite, we are going to fail at some level. That is why I have an extensive library. I prayerfully do my studies in God's infallible, spirit-breathed word. Then, I view my books as my friends, my enemies in some cases, my teachers, my arguing partners. I'm not a quick thinker. I'm not a particularly good thinker. But I am a student of good thinking. I know it when I read it, and I try to learn from it. I am not an apostle. As I said, a great thinker, a highly educated teacher, nor a great preacher. I am a college dropout. My knowledge of scripture, which is limited and meager, has come from years of prayer, meditation, study, and most of all, the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. No man can understand the word of God as the Spirit gave it without the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is impossible. I attempt to be faithful to Christ's word for his glory and the edification of his people. I frequently visit this verse. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Those are the words that arrest me every time. As those that must give account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. It should not surprise us that this passage is followed by pray for us. Pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. I believed then given the theological debates surrounding the Christology of Hebrews, I was going to bring a stack of my books 
that deal with just the Christology of Hebrews. Just the Christology, not, not all the things that are involved with that extraordinary book. And I thought, no, that'll take up too much time. Anytime you want to see them, drop by the house. But considering all the theological debates, that simple sentence, the son that became son, understood in the context of an exposition of the verses we're looking at, not the whole Bible, and it needs explanation. But put into the context of looking at the words of God, I found it very helpful. Because I found it very helpful, I thought it would be a helpful way to remember, for God's people to remember, the lofty, transcendent Christology of Hebrews. Particularly the first four verses. Where did that sentence come from? Well, <clears throat> I announced where it came from in Sermon 9 of these series, of this series. It came from this book, The Paradox of Sonship. You hear the title? The Paradox. There's a challenge to the issue of sonship. By that, I mean it's difficult to understand how it's being used in the various ways that it's used in Hebrews. <clears throat> uh, again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read from this, but I would simply say that the book came uh, so highly recommended. I wanted my thinking sharpened. And I wanted to help the Lord's people understand the great difficulties of studying this epistle. And of course, even the very best of our attempts um, can run aground, which apparently it has in this case. Brings us to the next thought, Dr. R.B. Jameson's summary statement, the son who became son. Now I said this, as I just uh, announced in Sermon 9 of this series. Listen carefully. This was what I said that far back. This letter speaks of Christ as Son in two ways. R.B. Jameson's helpful book, The Paradox of Sonship, Christology in the Epistle to the Hebrews, summarizes the paradox in this way. Jesus is the Son who became Son. Jameson explains, first, son designates Jesus' distinct mode of divine existence, which means he is God. He is the eternal son of God. And he's spoken of that way in Hebrews. He then goes on to say, the son eternally exists. Listen to those four words. The son eternally exists exists as God and as distinct from the Father and the Spirit. Second, Son also designates the office of messianic rule to which Jesus is appointed at his enthronement. 
When he sits down in glory, all his wonderful work now comes to bear in a way that's extraordinary. Jesus is appointed son when he sits down at God's right hand in heaven. They have to read the whole book to understand what he's saying in its context. <clears throat> but he says he's appointed when he sits down at God's right hand in heaven. This doesn't mean this is the only time he's announced as son. And we're going to see that as we look into the scriptures a little further on. We have a context for this statement. It was the first four verses of the book. So Jesus, third, uh, Dr. Jameson says, Jesus can become the messianic son only because he is the divine son incarnate. Only because he is the God man. I have to stay with my notes. I've got a lot of them. I need to move quickly. According to Hebrews, Messiah is a theandric office. That's a word that means divine and human. Uh, by the way, this is very helpful, but it is very deep theological reading. If you don't like those books, don't spend the money. <clears throat> he goes on to say, only one who is both divine and human can do all that Hebrews says the Messiah does. Close quote. In other words, now my words, the eternal Son of God, second person of the Holy Trinity, became man to save his people from their sins. He could only accomplish this as the God-man. As Christ the God-man, Jesus inherited the messianic kingdom when he lived died upon Calvary's cross, rose again, ascended into heaven, and sat down on the right hand of God. So we must read carefully as we work through Hebrews so that we may discern when the Holy Spirit is talking about the Son of God in the sense of his Trinitarian deity and the Son as the eternal Son united to humanity in Jesus the Messiah. The Son who became Son. That's what I said in that message. We will see this unfold in Hebrews. That's the end of my quote. So please note, and all right, you know, if you're drifting, uh, come back to the dock for just a moment. Please note that Dr. Jameson said the, the, uh, the son as eternal son. He believes that the second person of the Holy Trinity is the eternal son of God. Uh, you would say to me, well, don't. Don't all Christians believe that? Dr. MacArthur did not. Let's go a little further. In other words, Jameson believes in the eternal sonship of Christ. 
So in the context of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Jameson's sentence means this. It's a short sentence that means a lot. It means a lot. That's why I was drawn to it. I, I start with the a lot. Some men have that beautiful gift. So what it really comes down to mean is the eternal son of God, by means of his miraculous incarnation, the fulfilling of his father's purpose of redemption and ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of the majesty on high was pronounced God's triumphant son to all the citizens of heaven and to all the universe. It's a lot simpler to say the son who became son, but you have to understand that he's using son completely differently both times because that's what Hebrews does. So, also note that the word became, the son who became son, comes directly from verse 4. <clears throat> Being made so much better than the angels. I explained in a previous message in some detail <clears throat> that being made in the way the translators used it, is different from the way we think about it today. We would look at, at something like being constructed. It's not, that's not what's being said. It's, having, it, it's saying having become. Uh, like we say, uh, we made Jim the president. We didn't do anything creative with him. We made him. There was a process by which he became the president of the class. That's what we have here. So... <clears throat> As the eternal son of God, he was always better than the angels. As the eternal son of God, he was God. He was better than the angels then. So why is that being said where it is in Hebrews? It's being said because he is the God-man. The man Christ Jesus did not exist until the incarnation. So as the eternal son, he had made all the angels. He sustained all the angels. <clears throat> but he became a little lower than the angels to become a man. That's chapter 2. In that way, he accomplished keeping the law in our place. Dying on the cross in our place, rising again in our place to secure our salvation. The God-man did that. The, the Son, this is essential, the Son, as the second person of the Holy Trinity, He was Son in eternity before anything was ever created. He was the Son in eternity before He was incarnated. He was the eternal son of God. This has been the doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ going back to the first centuries of church history. <clears throat> At his enthronement, the God-man is so much better than the angels. Well, that's confusing. If he was always better, it's because now it's talking about Messiah. Now it's talking about the God-man. 
His deity is not changed, but now the glorified Messiah sits at the Father's right hand. Now, with these things in mind, Dr. MacArthur's rejection of Christ's eternal sonship. Plain statements. By the way, I'm not accusing, I am especially not falsely accusing Dr. MacArthur of something. <clears throat> he preached this particular doctrine for years, but he now has changed his mind and has publicly announced that he has abandoned the view I'm going to read you. So he doesn't believe this now, but he did and he did fervently. So much so that the association of churches that he was in when this exploded as a controversy, many of the churches pulled out. Because the eternal sonship of Christ has been what we think the Bible plainly teaches and was understood all the way back to the earliest days of the church. So, the subject of Christ's eternal sonship has been attacked in many ways, many times in the history of God's people by heretics who taught that Jesus was not God in eternity, not just not the Son, but by that they believed he wasn't God. Now, Dr. MacArthur thankfully doesn't believe that. But what I'm saying is that the eternal sonship has always been under attack, just like the issues of the God-man. You're in a battle, and Satan knows the devices. Do you? Thankfully, denying Christ's deity was not Dr. MacArthur's error. He denied the eternal sonship of Christ. So please listen carefully to his quotes. There are many more because he taught this doctrine for years. This comes directly from one of his sermons. And by the way, I'm not attacking him because I, I praise God that he had the character to say, I was wrong about that. And it filled my books, it filled my sermons, filled my publications, and it's taking a long and it's ending up taking a long time trying to expunge those things. I respect him deeply in this. So again, not dredging up something uh, to attack him with. I'm, I am bringing this to your attention because some believe that in the phrase or the sentence. The son which became son is connected to a, uh, 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 an issue like this. Christ did not become the son until he was incarnated. I should have said, quote, this is a direct quote from Dr. MacArthur. Christ did not become the son of God until he was incarnated. He was God, but not the son. Christ was not the Son of God in eternity past. He repeats it. He's teaching, by the way, so he wants everybody to get it. He was God in the Godhead. He became the Son. Remember we talked about weeks back, 
God doesn't become. He just is. He creates. He doesn't become. Creation becomes. Well, how did the son become? He became man. He united with humanity. So, back to Dr. MacArthur. He was God in the Godhead. He became the son. Then he quoted 2 Samuel 7, 14. Did you know that when 2 Samuel was written, Jesus Christ was not the son of God? I know that blows your mind a little bit, but hang on. The concept of Christ as a son is an incarnation title. He did not become son until he was begotten into time. Prior to time in his incarnation, he was eternal God with God. The term son only has to do with Jesus Christ in his incarnation. It is only an analogy to say that God is father and Jesus is son. Sonship is an incarnation title. Nothing in the Bible speaks of the eternal sonship of Christ. Now, are you listening? This is serious error. Nothing in the Bible speaks of the eternal sonship of Christ. Nothing. He was always God, but he became son. Eternally, he is God, but from his incarnation only, he is son. My friends, he never became a son until his incarnation. That is only his incarnation title. Before that, he was no son. Now, this is as plain as language gets. You don't need a commentary here. He only goes under the title of son when he comes into the world in incarnation. Before that, he is God. Don't let anyone tell you that he is the eternal son. Always subservient to God. Always less than God. Always under God because he is not. Now, part of it is if you heard his words carefully. One of the, what... He, he associates son with submission. Now, that's not entirely wrong. But he sees that as less than God. His sonship is only an analogy. To open the human mind some un to the open mind, some understanding of his willing submission to the Father for the sake of our redemption. His sonship began in a point of time, not in eternity. Be before he is born into the world, is he a son? All caps, no. He was not a son until he was born into this world. In a virgin birth. Not until he is born is he called the son of God. And don't you ever get trapped into all, uh, into all of that heresy that those people are propagating. That Jesus is eternally subservient to God. Well, there is a certain truth there. 
Jesus, the man, did not exist until the incarnation. But the eternal Son of God did. <clears throat> so he is denying that the second person of the Holy Trinity was God's Son before the incarnation. He became a son, is how he finishes that particular quote. He became a son. Uh, I'm not going to read the other two quotes. It's just much of the same. If you want them, I will happily give them to you. All of this is on the internet. <clears throat> so then, in quotes one and quote uh, two and three, he makes the point. Uh, uh, as he does, quote, uh, quote three begins with son is an incarnation title of Christ. Though his sonship was anticipated in the Old Testament, he did not become a son until he was begotten in time. So it, it's all the same things. Now, it's vital that you hold that in your mind as we go further. Dr. MacArthur has publicly changed his position. It gives me great relief to say that. He has publicly changed his position. In the Journal for Biblical Manhood uh, and Womanhood, number six, uh, uh, back in 2001, pages 21 and 23, Dr. MacArthur said in his article, quote, re-examining, uh, the, the article is re-examining the eternal sonship of Christ, in which he says, quote, I want to state publicly that I have abandoned the doctrine, now listen to these two words, of incarnational sonship. I want to say that I've abandoned the doctrine of incarnational sonship. Now those are two words you need to understand. In order to get what he's saying. Uh, but we'll, I'll try to explain that. Careful study and reflection have brought me to understand. That scripture does indeed present the relationship between God the Father and Christ the Son. As an eternal father-son relationship. That's what the church has confessed for two millennia. At least moving in that direction of two millennia. It took hundreds of years to formulate what the Bible, that huge book, <clears throat> teaches about Christ, teaches about the Trinity, it's not simple one, two, three proof text. Because the cults do that every day to deny that Christ is God or whatever other Christological heresy that they have. But he called his view, he called his error, incarnational sonship. So, he says, I no longer regard Christ a sonship as a role he assumed in his incarnation. He said that specifically in some of the quotes that I have there. Close quote. Now, for this, we can all thank the Lord. And I praise God and respect him that he would make that public withdrawal. His ministry has been hard at work 
removing Dr. MacArthur's denial of Christ's eternal sonship from his books, tapes, and publications. That's a long time. He's, he's preached, when he wrote that article in 2001, he'd already preached about 3,000 sermons. And the early ones were filled with this. And it actually started while he was preaching the book of Hebrews. That's even more remarkable, isn't it? Dr. MacArthur's error is called incarnational sonship, not incarnational Christology. Now, why make that difference? Well, some apparently have read the term incarnational sonship and have confused it with incarnational Christology. That's a term that I have used in this series. I could see someone getting those. Oh, that's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Not at all. One is serious error. <clears throat> Incarnational sonship is Dr. MacArthur's term for his erroneous view. His view means that the second person of the Trinity was not the son until his incarnation. Incarnational Christology is a theological term widely used, widely used for the study of Christ's life as a man. It's just a standard theological term. It's not a book, excuse me, it's not a word or term found in the Bible. It is an expression of how do we explain and talk about the fact that Christ was born miraculously in the womb of a virgin and then lived this remarkable life. So you study that aspect of his life. Incarnational Christology is not the name of an error. It is a theological term. Trinitarian Christology has to do with his nature as the second person in the Godhead. I've used that term as well. Trinitarian Christology, Jesus, the man, the God-man in eternity, God. He was the Father, the Son. He was the Son in the Trinity, second person of the Holy Trinity. And when we talk about him like that, we're talking about his deity. He is God. He is God. He is true deity. So Trinitarian Christology is talking more about his place in the Godhead. Another theological term. I have used it in the study of Hebrews because it accurately describes the two ways that we see Jesus. He is God and he's eternally the Son and he is Messiah, the Christ, the incarnate Son of God. In the history of, of Christ's church, the eternal sonship of Christ goes back to the earliest centuries. Now, that brings us to the next step. I never have and I never will teach Dr. MacArthur's former error by saying the son who became son <clears throat> properly understood it is in harmony with the way 
The first four verses present Jesus. It arises from the careful exegesis of the beautiful Christology of those four verses. His use of incarnational sonship, Dr. MacArthur's use, is error. But to use the, the terminology incarnational Christology is not an error. Trinitarian Christology is not an error. It is simply an expression of what we see. So then that brings us to another major head. God the Son has been and always will be the Son of God. Now when I say that to you, I have just said approximately 2,000 years of agreement of God's people. From what? The study of the Bible. And their studies of the Bible have gone into creeds and confessions for century after century. What I am saying at the beginning of Hebrews, apparently quite faultily at certain points, is what our confession says about Christ and about God the Trinity. I urge you, we've got some good books in the bookstore on the confessions. Read what our brethren from thousands of years ago said as they sat down, and many of them, their native language was Greek. They didn't have to get a Greek lexicon. They didn't need a dictionary as such. Just saying, of course, they used all the tools they could to try to understand the word of God. So, I repeat, I have not taught Dr. MacArthur's error. The son who became son could be twisted depending on how you understand it, but it was put in the context of explaining the the Christ that is found in the first four verses and through the book. You put it in its context. It's not difficult because he's talking about the son as he's been declared in Hebrews 1 through 4. I have not taught that doctrine. I never will teach that doctrine. What I'm presently saying is not connected to that doctrine. So God the Son has been and always will be the Son of God. Now, to try to move a little more quickly, the Son in Hebrews. Now, there's a context. Please listen to the context. There's a, the Son in Hebrews was the Son of God in eternity before creation. In one sense, we say about God, he's always God. But <clears throat> when, we, when we look at the things that, that are said in Hebrews so smoothly and so easily, 
the, the, the author, by the power of the Holy Spirit, goes back and forth between his deity and his humanity. And that can be confusing to people. How, as we've already said in, in several times in some of the earlier messages, how can he inherit all things when he created all things and owned them to begin with? Well, what's being talked about then? The Christ, the Messiah, the God-man, as he went into heaven and sat down at the Father's right hand. So, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world. What did he just say? God sent the Son. That means before his incarnation, he was the Son. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. He was the Son when he sent him. Not the error of saying he didn't become Son until he was incarnate. This is, this is one of the classic verses that sets forth the eternal sonship of God, of Christ. So many books have been written on this subject because in every generation, somebody attacks that. 1 John 4, 9 through 13. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. How glorious this is. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through him. Here in his love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son. To be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved if God so loved us. We ought also to love one another. Well then. The son in Hebrews was the son of God. When he came into the world. Not only in eternity. But he was the son of God when he came into the world at his birth. Luke chapter 1 verses 34 and 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. At his baptism, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, Jesus when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What do we see just with those verses? There's a few more, but what do we see? He was the Son of God in eternity. That is what Dr. MacArthur denied until the Lord changed his mind in his continued studies of the scriptures. That's what needs to happen to every pastor. He needs to keep studying all the time, all the time, so that where he's got wrong ideas, they get changed. But you know what? That 
should spread out and infect the entire congregation. You should constantly be looking into the scriptures, washing your mind and your heart with the truth of God's word to see your own errors and to repent and to uh, walk with Christ in fellowship. He was the son of God by his resurrection. by the transfiguration. This was announced at the transfiguration, not by it, at his transfiguration. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That is the God man. He's the son of God. He was son of God in eternity. Son of God on earth. Declared to be such. In the scriptures. So you're repeating yourself like Dr. MacArthur. Yes. I'm repeating it. It needs to sink in. In his resurrection. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul the Apostle says, Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And that's in the epistle to the Romans. And finally, the Son of God, finally for this list, the Son of God is, glor- is the glorified Son of God, seated at the Father's right hand. Now, that's the context of Hebrews. That's why the, the writer gave seven assertions, seven descriptions of how the Son is better than the prophets and that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. In verses 1 Uh, In chapter uh, 1, verses 2 through 5, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For, uh, well, now wait a minute. If he owned all things, what inheritance could he have? The son created all things. They were all his to begin with. But the God-man, seated at the Father's right hand, receives All the inheritance promised to him for his becoming a man and accomplishing salvation. That's how he inherits. God had promised it to him. And he, unlike us, did everything his father commanded. So, being made so much better as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And what was that name? It's right here. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son. This God man seated at the father's right hand 
didn't sit there for eternity. The eternal son was always with the father. But the God man is the incarnate son of God who now sits in glory and all the angels praise him and all the citizens of heaven praise him. He is the God man. Thou art my son. So at every stage, he's the son of God. This is just the cap, so to speak, when he comes and sits down at the father's right hand. Son at his incarnation. Son at his baptism. Son at the transfiguration. Son all the way through. And now God declares that the God man is my son. He never said that to an angel. This day have I begotten thee. So let me give you four quick applications. I hope this is clear. Let me say, I praise and thank the Lord that Dr. MacArthur saw his error after years, years, and he corrected it. Praise the Lord. What I am saying in Hebrews is not in any way attached to what he has said. We believe that he is the eternal son of God. And we believe that he became the God man. But he's always the son of God. The very word son does not point to inferiority. It means in with God the Father, his Son must be God the Son in that sense. He is God. Rather than effect, uh, negatively affecting who and what he is, the word Son means he's God. As a matter of fact, the Jews picked up on that. They wanted to stone him, he said, because this guy makes himself the son of God. They understood that. Yeah. So here are our applications, and, and I will not stay on them. One, the best and most faithful of men can make significant errors. Did not Peter violate the gospel when he was in Antioch and left the Gentiles to go be with the Jews, he fell and he fell hard, but he was still God's servant. Number two, it is the sign of humility and of God's spirit working when pastors, teachers, and any Christians acknowledge and re when any Christian, it shouldn't be plural, uh, typo, any Christian acknowledges and repents of his error. I mean, it should be obvious in our leadership so that we recognize that it's done. Any pastor that has to think, oh, I've got to keep up this perfect thing. And we want to strive for that. But he's going to fool himself. He's either going to, he's either going to become a Pharisee or he's going to fall really hard and try to figure out what happened. The issue for any Christian when he fails, any Christian 
is repent and believe God's truth. Trust the Lord Jesus and walk with him. Three, and that is a sign of humility to which we are called. Three, we must be Berean and examine the scriptures to see whether these things, and you can fill in the blank with these things, listen to what's being preached. We need to look at it, think about it, be careful, and see if these things are so. But we've got to watch out for trigger words. Incarnational sonship is not incarnational Christology. So be careful of triggers. Oh, he said this word, and so this false teacher says that word, and therefore he must be a false teacher. Just be careful. You know, to, but be quick to examine the scriptures and pray about it. Fourth, before we make accusations of error, especially when it involves pastors, preachers, teachers, and all of that, we must pray and study carefully. The word of God says that uh, an elder, a pastor that sins, you know, he should be rebuked before all, but that's only when there are two or three witnesses. There needs to be witnesses that say, yeah, that's error. Or he's living in a wicked way. We see it in his home. We see it. We caught him somewhere. You know? So before we make accusations of error, especially when it involves pastors, preachers, teachers, and the rest. And, 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 and once again, it, it applies to anybody. It just applies to anybody. We must pray and study carefully because it's easy to do character assass assassination. It really is. So brethren, <clears throat> beware. Satan is clever in his devices. He will use anything, even scripture, as he did with Jesus himself. To divide God's people and to ruin God's worship. Everyone needs to, to understand that since 2021 up until 2023, much of what was going on simply Satan using human desires to divide the congregation people involved didn't know this they should have but to divide a congregation and to ruin its worship when you're bent out of shape with anybody in the congregation you're not going to come in and worship the way you should it's not going to happen you won't, hear, you won't hear the preaching. Oh, you'll, hear, you'll have the audio experience. You won't do any changing. Brethren, it's vital that we realize the day we're living in, realize the battle we're engaged in, and that the enemy is smarter than we are, that the enemy knows the tricks he's been using human beings for millennia upon millennia. Or millennium upon millennium. <clears throat> Let's fight back in truth. But wisely. And know what we're about. When we do those things. So. My final word. Is this. Let us love our God. Let us love one another. 
because the sentence, the son who became son, has caused concerns, I will no longer use it in this series of sermons. I don't need it to express the glory and the beauty of our Christ. For those of you who told me it was helpful to you, I'm thankful it was helpful. Mission accomplished at that point. For those that it distressed, you have my deepest sorrow about that, and so you won't hear it anymore. May we, with one heart and one voice, seek, obey, and worship our God with an impenetrable love for him and one another. Amen. Father, we thank thee for thy infinite goodness. I confess before thee my weaknesses, my fallibilities, my uncountable failures at the work that thou hast given me. How I thank thee for the blood of Christ that has purged me of my sins. And I pray that each of thy children here will love and adore Christ because his blood washes away our failures, our disobediences. Oh, fill us with thy spirit. Keep us repenting and mortifying the deeds of the body. And out of love, true, sincere, heart love for thee, walk faithfully with thee and thy people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me? Paul said this to his beloved Corinthians. May we all lay hold of it. He says, finally, brethren, after 13 chapters, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. That means mature, complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>